Merry Christmas to everybody. Hope you had a fabulous day yesterday. I had an interesting Christmas day yesterday. <laughs> I went out and checked out my hot tub, which I hadn't checked on a, about a week. And I uh, went out there and opened it up, and there was a thin layer of ice all over the tub. Because a circuit or something had popped and the thing had quit running and it had frozen over. And of course all the pipes and stuff underneath it were all frozen solid. I go, oh man. So I, I take a heater, I took a side off and put a heater and blowing hot air into the thing to uh, thaw it out. And so I'm standing out there with a stupid tub for a good hour, hour and a half, just watching it and checking it and reaching in every... 10, 15 minutes just to feel everything. Because he didn't want stuff to melt. That would be bad. But nothing was hot to the touch. Everything was cool. So I go in the house. And I come out and check out the house. Coming in every few many minutes. And as I'm coming in the last time, I don't know what happens. I don't know uh, if there's some kind of a misfire or if a piece of uh, uh, insulation or something had fallen off from the hot tub and dropped right in front of the heater. Anyway, the thing starts on fire. Now, I don't know this. I'm walking in the house. I close the door. I'm in the house. And the thing's in flames and just big, huge clouds of black smoke are just pouring into the atmosphere. And uh, all I know is all of a sudden my wife says, what's wrong with the TV? And uh, because the satellite signal's kind of going in and out. Because it's going in and out because there's huge plumes of black smoke <laughs> blocking the satellite signal to the satellite dish. And I'm staring at it going, I don't know. And she's like, well, that's kind of weird. And I'm like, I don't. Of course, we're fixated on the television. If we had just looked right there, we would have seen the fire. And so, so we're like, look at the TV. What the heck is the matter with the satellites? Also, my brother Jim comes upstairs. And he says, uh, one of the circuits just popped. Which, of course, would have been the circuit that was powering the heater, which is now in flames. And uh, really, I don't know, that's weird, looking at the TV and trying to... So finally, I look over and... Ah! The thing is just flames pouring out of the hot tub. And smoke. So I yelled at Debbie. I said, quick, call 911. And she says, really? I said, yeah, look at the fire. Where's the phone? I said, I don't know. Where's your phone? I don't know. Where's your phone? Like, ah, now, we had just finished watching Christmas Vacation. All right. With, with Chevy Chase, you know, the, the Clark Griswold family, all right. Where everything that can go wrong does. And uh, so she's laughing hysterically, try, trying to find a phone. To call 911, I run out with one of these, you know, little house, you know, fire extinguishers. I don't know if you've ever used any of those things, but they last about eight seconds. <laughs> so, so I come out and I'll... Like, what? Because it was almost out. And then it comes flaming back in. And then a neighbor comes running over and he has the same model. The same stupid 
fire extinguisher. All right? And we're going, yeah, you know. So then I'm taking snow and I'm throwing it on the thing, trying to put out the fire. And finally the fire department shows up and, and they got a lot bigger fire extinguisher. And, uh, and they, they put it out and, you know, so this is hugely embarrassing on Christmas. Tub is t- totally destroyed and I go back in the house, my red-headed wife's sitting there laughing her butt off and <laughs> something wrong with that woman, man. I tell she was still laughing this morning. I said, stop it! So that was my Christmas. It was a memory. A Christmas memory. If anybody's looking for a used hot tub, I got a great. <laughs> Man. Stupid hot tub. Merry Christmas. Anyway, okay. Of course, then I just preach Christmas Eve, you know, that on Christmas Day, things don't always go the way you plan. I don't know why I was prophesying to myself. This morning, very simple message. We won't keep you long today. Let you get out and spend time with the family and stuff. But first, or uh, Luke, the first chapter. Now we have been uh, reading the Christmas event as recorded in the Bible, and it's been centered around two amazing births. The first one was John the Baptist. John the Baptist. I mean, uh, Elizabeth and uh, Zachariah, his parents were very old and past the time of children anymore. And But an angel appears to Zechariah and says, Hey, your wife's going to conceive and give birth. And of course, he didn't believe him. So the angel said, ah, Because you don't believe me, I'm going to make you deaf and dumb or whatever. So he, he couldn't talk uh, for the whole time of her pregnancy. And uh, we pick it up in uh, Luke, the first chapter, verse 57. It says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. It was pretty amazing, her even getting pregnant. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And as was the custom on the eighth day, they were also going to name him. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, 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 he's to be called John. And they said to her, well, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Well, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak. And he was praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, and I want you to recognize, this is the main point here. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was on him. This was not done in secret. This wasn't in a closet. This wasn't just the few of them and nobody else knew. Everybody knew the circumstances around this incredible boy. And certainly, uh, 
in a smaller communities like that, everybody knows everything, and they knew, and they knew, knew, and it says throughout the entire countryside, everybody knew about this boy. And the anticipation and expectations of this boy were very high. Well, then we have the birth of Jesus, as recorded in Luke, the second chapter. We won't read the whole thing again, because we've read it several times during this Advent season, but uh, at verse 15, this is talking about when uh, the uh, Jesus is born in the manger, and then angels appear to these shepherds out in the field. A whole bunch of angels. And they're singing and praising God. And they're like, whoa. And uh, so it says here that when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word. Everybody say, spread the word. Spread the word. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to him. So, said to them. So the same scenario here. Not done in secret. Not done in a closet. Not done with nobody. Everybody heard about these things concerning these two boys. Two. Amazing births, two amazing events with angels in the whole deal, two boys the whole area knew about, two boys over whom there was great expectation and great anticipation, as it said about the people who heard about John, what kind of child is this going to be? And then after all of this amazing stuff that we celebrate every year, Nothing happens. Nothing. They're born and seven years tick off. And nothing. Well, they're just boys. Thirteen years go by. Now they're young men according to Jewish tradition. They go through their bar mitzvahs. Surely now we must see something Standing out something amazing about these guys. Wouldn't you think after a burst like this, everybody's waiting and nothing. 18 years go by. They're strapping young men. Surely now, surely now, we will see something happen and nothing. 21 years. Come on, these guys are 21. Now we got to get with the program here. What happens? Nothing. 25 years go by and absolutely nothing. 29 years have passed from these incredible events that happened. Great expectation, anticipation over these two boys. And for 29 years, Years, Absolutely nothing. No doubt many who were around at this time had passed on. The memory of what had even happened concerning them may be dim in people's minds. It's been 29 years. Nothing. Nothing's happened. Angels singing, all this fancy stuff. Nothing happened. And then 30 years, and John the Baptist begins his ministry. 
He starts preaching up a, just a, he's a Helen Brimstone preacher, this guy. He's in people's faces, giving them a hard time. And, but he was very effective. The Bible says thousands of people from all over the country came to hear him speak and be baptized for their sins in the Jordan River. And then one day, Jesus is coming to be baptized and John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's all about him. I must decrease, now he must increase. And Jesus begins his ministry and does incredible miracles and says amazing things. And in three years, he changes the world. 30 years. 30 long, quiet If there's one thing that we see in the scriptures is that from the time of promise and the time of fulfillment, there's usually time that passes, which is frustrating because it requires patience. We need patience. Now, if there's one thing we Americans don't do well it's patience we live in a very impatient world we want things to change now it's got to happen now and if it doesn't happen now we become very impatient do you remember when microwave ovens first came out you guys remember that i mean how cool that was everybody would gather around the microwave stop it as long as it's not on fire i'm okay would gather around the microwave and we'd all go ooh ah you remember it was like a big thing you go to Sears and you look at the microwave and go ooh ah it was amazing that things could heat up so quickly now you put a cup in there for 60 seconds and it's like come on it's taking so long it used to take about 5 minutes to boil water you know it took forever we got it down to 30 seconds like <laughs> we've got fast food and we want it fast and you drive in and you hear those dreaded words please pull forward it's like, no, no, no. it'll take three four minutes I can't, I can't take it It's problematic for our Christian faith because despite the modern conveniences we have today, things have not changed concerning the human soul. And faith takes patience. James writes about it in the first chapter, verse 4. He says, let patience have its perfect work. Actually, the NIV thing says perseverance must finish its work. But the King James Version uses the word patience. I'll use that. But let patience have its perfect work. I love that. In other words, apparently we have to be patient with patience. You have to let it do its work. Now this is right after he wrote the words that say this. Be happy when things go wrong. I think it was written by my wife actually. but uh, 
Something's wrong with her. But, uh, be happy when things go wrong. Because you need to let patience have its perfect work. It's what perfects us. It's what does the change in us. But oftentimes we don't let the change happen because we get impatient. We get mad at patience. Galatians, he writes this, chapter 6, verse 9. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. Why? Because it's easy to become weary. <laughs> it takes so long. <laughs> Why does it take so long? We get tired. But he says, don't become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Something we need to understand. The adversities that are faced, that, are, that you're facing in life, they might be financial challenges. They might be physical struggles. You might be wrestling with relational problems. You might be having problems with your hot tub. <laughs> but these things that surround us, that's not what threatens us. What threatens us is if we allow these things to cause us to give up. That's the threat. It's not this as ugly as it is. It's not this as frustrating as it is. It's not this as challenging as it is. All of this is designed to do one thing in your life. To get you to give up. Because once you give up, there's no more faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, the Bible says. The threat... The threat, the great threat in your life is to cause you to give up. In Philippians, the first, chap, first chapter, we read these words. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, look guys, this, this takes time. I'm confident that what God started in you, he will finish. Now the thing is, it takes time. Something we don't like. We don't like to take time. We want things to happen now. But it takes time to grow in your faith. That's why we have to be uh, uh, considerate to work on our faith. Intentional in our faith. The fact that you're here in church means you're being intentional about your relationship with God. We have to be intentional. We have to do these things. We have to pray, read the Bible, attend church, all these things. Why? So that God will continue to do the work that he started in us. Now it can become frustrating at times because things don't happen as quickly as we want. And if you're very honest with yourself at all, sometimes your biggest frustration will be you. You think, oh, I still get Mad, maybe I don't get as mad as I used to, but I still get mad. I still get frustrated, maybe not as bad as I used to, but I still get frustrated. Oh, God must hate me. God doesn't hate you. God's not freaked out because you keep messing up. God doesn't come apart because you do something stupid. Why? Because he's faithful to continue that work in you. That takes time. To get you to where you need to be. In Philippians, the second issue of Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, he writes, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not just in my presence, in other words, 
He's praising them because they're just not good when he shows up, but also when he's gone. And he tells them these words. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is the guy who went to great efforts to let people know there's nothing they could do to save themselves. In fact, this is true of the human condition. Despite the sins you've committed, even though you think maybe you're not that bad of a guy, you're not as bad as your neighbor, you know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, it doesn't matter. Your sins have got you in a bad place. And the discouraging truth of the matter is there's not a stinking thing you can do about it. You've sinned. And as sinners, we all stand doomed. The good news, which is what the gospel means, the gospel stands for good news. The good news of Christianity is this. While you can't do anything about it, God has done something about it. Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross for the sins of the world, he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you'll put your trust in Jesus, let him take your sins. Ask for his forgiveness and grace in your life. That's how you deal. You can't save yourself. And Paul was very strong about this. But here is the guy talking about how you can't save yourself saying, work out your own salvation. What, what is, what's he talking about? Well, what he's talking about is, is what God has done in you, which you can't do to yourself. We now need to work it out. You need to work out what God has started in your life. Again, the reason for being intentional in your Christian faith. It just doesn't happen automatically. You don't become spiritual because you have a Bible sitting in your house. You actually have to read it. You have to be intentional about your faith. Working out that which God has already started on the inside. That is the journey of the Christian faith. And buckle down. Hang on, get comfortable, because it takes a long time. Don't get discouraged about the fact that things aren't moving as quickly in your heart, in your life, as you had hoped. Even though you might begin with great promise, like the births of those two boys. But there's often a big gap between the promise and the fulfillment, it's called time. requires patience. And remember, your greatest threat is not all the icky stuff attacking your life, as disconcerting as it is. The real threat is that those things would cause you to give up. That's what you need to protect. That you don't give up. You don't. Give up. I'm going to invite the ushers to come, get ready to serve communion, and our musicians can come back as we get ready to close our service with our communion time this morning. Let us not become weary, for the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We turn our attention to communion. This is when we reflect on the fact that Jesus Christ died on that cross for our sins 2,000 years ago. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us. So that we could have forgiveness of sins. And talk about patience. The greatest example of patience was in our perfect Lord. Who though being brutalized. At the hand of cruel men. And crucified upon that cross. The Bible says that he could have at any moment. Just said the word. And ten thousand angels would have showed up and protected him 
But he stayed silent. Why? He was being patient. Because he wanted to get to the fulfillment of the promise. Which was to redeem mankind from their sins. The promise came that he'd do it. The reality is about to happen. And now there's the suffering. The patience. The trial. He is our greatest example of patience. In the midst of getting to the final answer. We're getting ready to celebrate this now as we take communion. And I just I want to ask this question as we do always on Sunday morning. Where are you at in your walk with God in your life? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you asked him to come into your heart to forgive you of your sins? And to give you new life. I'm going to invite everybody to bow their head in a word of prayer. We're going to pray this prayer together. I'm going to invite everybody to pray this with me. If you're willing to turn away from what you know is wrong. Put your faith in Jesus. You can begin your life of faith this morning. With this simple prayer as we pray this together. Dear Jesus. I believe you are the son of God. And that you loved me so much. You went to the cross. And you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender myself to you. Amen.